Today, we are finally bringing you the interview that we've sort of been plugging all week with uh, Nazarene Caffeine. And you know, what's so great about the body of Christ is you don't need to be some world-renowned, you know, uh, theologian or speaker to just be passionate and thoughtful about Christ. And in today's America, you can start a ministry anywhere. And I think that's what we have for you here today. Uh, a very thoughtful, intelligent, uh, seemingly passionate uh, man for God. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer, and then this is my beautiful wife, Nikki. So before we dive into this interview, honey, do you have anything you want to say? I'm just really excited for the opportunity to interview uh, Travis, and I think he's going to have a lot of good things to share. I agree. So with that, let's go ahead and bring Travis in. Hey, Travis, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, man, we're so happy that you took time out of your day to join us. And yeah, we just want to give you kind of the open here to tell everybody who you are, um, you know, what your ministry is about, where they can find you, sort of whatever you feel like plugging about yourself. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Travis Stockelman. I, um, I'm a member of the Church of the Nazarene. I'm, I'm actually a licensed minister in the Church of the Nazarene. So that's where the Nazarene part of Nazarene Caffeine comes from. Um, I, I was, honestly, when the name came together, I was just kind of looking for something that rhymes with Nazarene, just kind of throw it together as something catchy. And uh, Caffeine came to me. And so uh, my first theme was just kind of, keeping with like this coffee type and and so it's just kind of grown from there my my uh, my website is nazarinecaffeine.com um, my my passion has been to uh, look at look at what scripture teaches and try to help people live that out uh, try to help people grow in their faith and their walk with Christ help them grow into disciples, not just Christians, uh, to help them just develop this this relationship with Christ and look more like him each day. And that, that's really my passion, and I, I do that in several ways. Uh, on the website, I, I try to, most days, provide uh, daily devotionals. Uh, that has not happened the last couple of days because I just got married and we're still in the the throw of things with that, getting all the paperwork done and everything else. Uh, but beyond that, I also uh, post different thoughts about theology, uh, and I try to make those practical. Theology should be practical whenever we, we, we shouldn't just think about God and then just like live as though that doesn't have an impact on our lives. It, it should be very practical to us. And I also uh, try to equip people with any kind of free resources that I find. I don't believe that someone should have to uh, pay a lot of money in order to 
grow in their walk with Christ. Not, I mean, not unless you're you're going to seminary or something like that to prepare for the pastorate. That that's something entirely different. But for the everyday average Christian, uh, I try to provide uh, posts on a regular basis. I, I can't do this all the time because eventually I run out of free stuff that I'm finding. But um, I find I try to find free books, free uh, music, free. Um, I had to post on free magazines, free commentaries. Uh, I, I just want people to be able to have those kinds of resources in their hands to be able to help them out. And so basically I'm, I'm here to serve in that way. That's my goal. And my goal, my goal has, has always been to, to help people grow. And if some other resource can do that better than I can, I, I have no, no problem um, saying here, I found this free resource that, that will help you out. Yeah. And, um, you know, the way that I found you really, I honestly don't even know how I stumbled across you on Twitter. Uh, but I did stumble across you. It's that catchy name. It's a <laughs> catchy name. And again, I don't know, I'm not very well versed in Twitter, but I came across your post and it was something you had mentioned. I read through the Bible in 20 days and I saw that and I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And I think I asked you, like, did you actually learn anything from it? Like something new, you know, because we're always taught to study the scripture, right? Like dissect it, take it apart. So I was like, this is kind of a fascinating, like, breeze through the through the Bible. So if you could tell us if you learned anything differently or saw anything differently when you read through the Bible that quickly. The the number one thing that I learned from that entire experience uh, well, let me let me start by saying like how I came across that, because that that was uh, something that I kind of did as a challenge to myself. Uh, there's a a uh, website that I follow, uh, knowableword.com. It's run by a guy named I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right, Peter Crawl, and uh, he does every year he does a Bible reading challenge. It's a 90-day Bible reading challenge where if you read through the Bible in 90 days, you get to enter uh, sweepstakes. Um, it's 90 days from January 1st to uh, the end of March. Nice. So the, the, those 90 days. So it has to be in that time frame. But if you read through the Bible during that time, you get to enter a sweepstakes, and he gives away some pretty good prizes, readers' Bibles, um, you know, just some really amazing things. And I had already missed the window, but I was a Bible college student in my senior year, and I had never read the Bible cover to cover. I, I, had, I knew some parts of the Bible really, really well, but there were other parts that I, I avoided just because, well, I, I won't say I avoided them, but like I, I, I wouldn't study them as much. Yeah, no, um, Obadiah to... Uh, yeah. It, and so that bugged me. I'm like, I'm a senior in Bible college. Shouldn't I like, because because I've done exegetical work on the Bible. Like, shouldn't I know? Like, shouldn't I have read it the whole way through? And so that's when I challenged myself. I actually made a chart. If you go to the Nazarene Caffeine website and go to the article I read the Bible in 20 days, here's what I learned. Uh, then there's actually a link to that chart I made. I challenged myself to read the Bible in 40 days, but whenever i did this i i gave myself daily challenges as well so it, it wasn't so like the first day i was supposed to read through genesis but i knew i would be busy 
uh, the next day, uh, day two, and I don't remember exactly which day of the week or whatever it was, but I knew I had something going on the next day. So I read Genesis and about a third of Exodus the first day, and then that way I could I could pick that up. And so I would give myself these daily challenges to try to outpace everything else. And at the end of the day, it took me 15 days to go through the Old Testament and five to go through the New Testament. Right. And uh, one the one thing I learned about this entire thing, and I, I uh, spelled this out in the in the article. Uh, I, I cited some some figures there. Um, the one thing that I learned is a myth is that you don't have time to read the Bible. That is the biggest thing I learned from all of that. Uh, you you do in fact have time to read the Bible, and in in the uh, po- the article I posted. Uh, I pointed out some statistics. It's 40-something percent. I don't have that off the top of my head. 40-something percent of people who haven't read the Bible say it's because they either don't prioritize the Bible or that they don't have enough time to read the Bible. And the one thing I learned is that those are the same excuse. The people who say that they don't make it a priority are just being a little bit more honest. Uh, And so I, I also dove into some statistics and uh, depending on your source, I, I used one particular source to get my my statistics about social media usage and how much time people spend on their phones each day in that particular article. But it, it'll it'll vary a little bit depending on which which source you go to. But the the heart of the matter is that we spend a, usually about three hours or more a day. On social media or on our phone or on our phones in general um, some of that is is social media and so the problem that I have is when someone will spend three hours on their phone a day uh, playing games or a lot of that time being on Facebook but they say I don't have 30 minutes to read the Bible mm-hmm. no you do have 30 minutes to read the Bible you're, you're choosing to do other things instead and that's that's where I've I've had um, an issue, and I think that's where that's what I've learned the most is that that that's absolutely not not the case. You you do in fact have time to read the Bible. Um, all you have to do is prioritize it. You have to make it a priority. And I think that that's that's the challenge that people need to overcome you, if they want to get into a regular Bible study habit. Did you by chance just in your reading did it make Jesus more evident in the Old Testament, kind of as you were going through it quickly? Or maybe because I guess you already have it in your mind, but I'm just curious if you could see sort of this coming Messiah quicker through the Old Testament. What I got from that uh, that entire experience, as far as the the speed reading through it, is that I, I got more of this overarching picture, like the large. It, it's like. The, the, the saying goes, you know, you, you don't want to miss the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes I think we can get bogged down into the trees and we need to take a step back and see the forest. And that's precisely what this allowed me to do. And so there were times where, where I could clearly see, oh, this is talking about Jesus. Like this entire narrative points to Jesus. And so there were moments like that, but there were also narratives where I could see, you know, themes popping up, you know, uh, one, one, one that I learned, because I, I would write down questions and I would highlight and take notes. And sometimes when I had a question, I would go go answer it later. Things like uh, the word used for ark 
during the Noah narrative in Genesis is also the same word used for the basket that Moses was put in. Oh, fascinating. Oh, that's awesome. I love so there, stuff like that, there, the connections. There is a there is a connection there, and it's the, those narratives are more closely, I think, related than we would initially give them credit for. Yeah. But we miss that if we're just focusing on one and we're not looking at the bigger picture. And so that that that's just one example of yeah. many that that I could point out. But things like that I started to pick up on reading through this. So this this is definitely something I would encourage someone to do if you don't. If, uh, pace yourself. I mean, if you, if you can't do it in 20 days, uh, you know, yeah. I, I had it, I had a job that let me read at work. So I, I had what somewhat happened? of, <laughs> I, 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 ha I had somewhat of a benefit there, but it's still, um, that wasn't the entire thing. I did just as much reading at home as I did at work. So, yeah. um, so if you can't do it in 20, challenge yourself to do it in 90. I mean, 90 days is a good time frame, and I think you would still pick up on some of those narratives. So we know it's yeah. possible. No excuse, you know. But moving on, we had another question. Um, sorry. No, I know we could talk on just yeah, that sorry, forever. We, gotta, we could run <laughs> this episode that. for an hour and a half and be happy, but. Uh, yeah. But I know yeah. I had asked you earlier before we started the interview, like the American Christianity, um, and you had a podcast about that. Um, like the problems with it, and um, and you asked the question, and it's could our Americanizing and politicizing of certain passages be causing us to miss what Jesus is actually trying to do, and what passages are you speaking about, and what do you see as a solution uh, to those problems? I think um, as far as the Americanizing. I, I went into the kind of politicizing of, of certain things um, in that in that podcast. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Americanizing, then I'll talk about politicizing, because I think that both are happening. Uh, as far as the Americanizing of Scripture, I think that we as Americans tend to read the Bible as though it was written to 21st century America, and that's that's one of our biggest issues is that it wasn't. The New Testament was written in the first century in Greek to, you know, a, a largely Greco-Roman audience, or in the case of the um, the uh, Jewish letters, uh, Hebrews, James, and so on, that would be a Jewish Christian audience. Um, it was written to an entirely different audience, in an entirely different time frame, and we can say the same thing about the Old Testament. Um, it, it was written to a completely different audience than 21st century America. So when we start making assumptions from 21st century America and reading them into Scripture, then we're, we're going to miss the Tell me that God does not want you to live your best life now and that <laughs> health, health aren't guaranteed to us. Because I know what I heard on TV that, that is true. <laughs> The the thing is, I, I was actually about to go there. Uh, I've actually I've actually I've actually heard this. Uh, I I've actually heard this. Third uh, John two is is one example I'll give of this. It says, and I'm reading from the ESV. It says, "Beloved, I pray that you that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it is, as it goes well with your soul." I've heard people use that to say, "Well, God just wants you to be healthy, so He must promise you health all the time." Well, and I'm like that. <laughs> That, 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 that's not that's not what the passage means. Read read the context. It's talking about something different. And I think that we we see this 
Um, my favorites are, are two from Philippians 4. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, yeah. um, I just brought that the, to a friend last night. Yeah, I say that, that every that time one. I'm trying to hit a new max on the bench. <laughs> Like I can, then I just well, tell, tell everyone what it means, though. Okay, so Jesus didn't, or well, Paul, Jesus didn't inspire that scripture, so that you could say it before a football game and claim <laughs> victory in that football game. I'm I'm gonna say that right now. Yeah. Um, Paul wrote that, and and the same, the second one that I, I mentioned is Philippians four nineteen, which talks about God providing all our needs according to His riches and glory. Mm-hmm. Another prosperity gospel um, (laughs) type verse. And it doesn't mean what they think, what they they claim it means. It it actually, Paul is writing that from prison and talking about Mm -hmm. all the trials he has gone through in prison. And then after he's talking about all these trials and all these difficulties and how the Philippians have been with him through that, then Paul says, I, ha- I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's, a, it's about being able to do ministry under pressure, under the most difficult of circumstances. Yeah. That is specifically what Paul is getting at. Getting at that's what Paul's talking about. He wrote it in prison. We need to remember his situation. (laughs) Yeah, you mean he was there in a seven (laughs) forty-seven that his church paid for? Yeah. No, he was not. No, he was not. Um, And so I I think that we we need to remember that. And and the the counter to this Americanizing of Christianity, I think, is trying to understand the context. Like it brings an entirely different light to it when you understand that Paul was in prison for preaching Jesus at the time that he wrote this letter. That brings an entirely different light onto it than if you read it from uh, our perspective as 21st century Americans who actually have it pretty easy. And we look at it and, and we say, well, it means something to do with prosperity, right? We mean we can have the world <laughs> is what we want. <laughs> um, so yeah. as far as... Sorry. As far as the politicizing goes, I um, I mentioned this in the podcast, and I, I I have intentionally gone out of my way not to become overtly political here. I want to stay uh, strictly with um, what what Scripture teaches and um, and try to elaborate on that and how it affects our lives. So I I actually specifically gave an example from both sides in that podcast for this reason to show how it it happens on both sides of the political aisle. The first one was, um, was the, um, book, a rhythm of prayer had a a prayer in it that, uh, started out, dear God, help me hate white people. And the entire thing, if you, if you read beyond that, the entire thing was about, you know, not these white people, not that, that group of white people, but, in, in essence, people who voted differently than I did right. helped me hate those people. Yeah. And I think I think it sets a dangerous precedent to ask God to help us hate anything like that. That's a that's not something that I don't think God I don't think God is going to answer that. That's not something I think he's going to he's going to look favorably on um, to begin with. But especially when it's over something like politics. And the second example I gave is from the other side of the aisle where uh, one of my family members, I'm, I'm not going to mention um, which one, but my one of my family members uh, was driving around town one day. And, and this struck me as odd because uh, 
she she was uh, looking at different. This was around the time of the election. She's looking at yard signs, right? And God, please help those people because they're not voting the way I I vote, right? God, please change their hearts because you know that if they're voting for that person, their hearts can't be right. It, it was that kind of attitude, and I'm thinking, you, you, you that that's that's not the attitude we need to have, right? I you think know, that I as Christians, down when you when I was listening to that episode, that when you kind of made that comment about, you know, please change your heart, and I thought, you know, if you make Jesus a Republican savior or a Democrat savior, like we already have a hard enough time reaching people with the gospel, but now if you try to reach a Democrat, let's say, with a Republican savior, you've built in an extra <laughs> barrier that you have to come across rather than he died for all people, for all sin, you know? So he's not yeah. just, a political bent is completely and different. And you can't tell people they need forgiveness from their sin of voting or affiliating, you know, with a certain political party. Like, that's not a sin yeah. that... You know, it makes a hard task even harder. I, and, and that's I, I may have I may have I don't remember if I brought that point up in, in the podcast or not. But but I I, I remember I, I agree with you. I, I've thought that before, too. Like if I'm trying to reach someone and I tell them I vote a certain way. Right. That person may immediately shut me out and not listen to anything else that I, I have to say. And if they shut me out then I've just lost the opportunity to evangelize that person. Yeah. And so I think that I think that there's a lot of heart change that needs to happen um, just across across the board. Like I said, there are examples from both sides. But that heart change isn't going to happen if we try to make Jesus into the image that we want him to be in. It's going to happen when we accept Jesus as he is and let him change us. Absolutely. That's where that's where that's going to happen. I just want to take this back to something you had mentioned a little bit earlier. Um, we are very passionate about discipleship. We've done a couple of podcasts on it and probably got dozens of more to do in the future. But um, you posted an article not long ago. You posted a couple articles I've seen. I read one on discipleship. Um, and you mentioned about it helps people to read the Bible in context, you know, if you're going to avoid these false gospel narratives. And I feel like that's something people don't do because they aren't actually discipled. Like we go to church on a Sunday, we hear a cool message, then we leave, but we're not actually like being discipled. You know, the, the disciples, Jesus called them to live with them, that everything they did was with him. And um, the question I had was basically what makes a good discipleship ministry? And then like, how do you do discipleship in a world like ours that's so disconnected, everybody's so busy, and it's not like it was like, back in Jesus' yeah. day where you just, like, I mean, maybe it was. Maybe we're just, we don't realize how busy their lives really we're were. We're too busy then. to even, like, talk to our neighbor, you know what I mean? Yeah, so that was just kind of the thought I have, like, you know, how do you do a, a discipleship ministry in a world that's as disconnected and hectic as ours? I think part of it is our culture. Um, we live in an individualistic culture, and that that's definitely a barrier to discipleship. Uh, I think the the key to discipleship, and Robert Coleman wrote a, a great book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, um, where 
he uh, I believe he brought up this, this very same point. Discipleship was intentional. If you look at the model that Jesus gave us for discipleship, and I, I, I love this um, because I noticed this when I was starting a, a devotional series on the Sermon on the Mount. If you, if you look at Matthew 5, 1 and 2, uh, what you see is in context, Jesus had done all these amazing miracles, all of these all these signs and wonders and exorcisms and all these amazing things and crowds were following him and everything else. And in Matthew 5, 1, it says that Jesus saw the crowds and seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he came down, his disciples came to to him. In other words, um, Jesus saw the crowds and said, I'm going to focus on you 12. So, so Jesus could have had this amazing opportunity to preach to the crowds, but he intentionally said, I'm going to step away from the crowds. I'm going to focus on my disciples and I'm going to focus on, on making sure they understand how to live. And if you read the Sermon on the Mount, it, it, it the entire thing's practical. It's how to live as someone who follows Christ in, in a world that doesn't. Yeah. And so I, I, I look at that and I think that, in order for us to have any kind of successful discipleship ministry, it has to be intentional. We have to intentionally take time away to um, be with people and to pour into them. Uh, I, I think it's important for the person who is doing the discipling to also be discipled as well. I think that there, in other words, there needs to be like three generations going on, someone discipling the disciplers and then the discipler, uh, discipling other people. And, and so that way we we're always growing. Um, that, that person who's doing the discipling needs to focus first and foremost on their relationship with Christ and making sure that they understand what he's saying and have a devotion to his word and obeying him and submitting to Christ. And then, then they're in a position to disciple others and teach them to do the same. Um, so it, it, it's intentional from the very first moment. You're, you're intentional about your relationship with Christ, and then you're intentional about bringing other people into that kind of relationship. And so I, I think without intentionality, we're, we're just going to end up with, with a group of people uh, that go to church once a week, maybe less, once a month, or whatever it is. And then with the American church, <laughs> exactly. That's kind of where I was going with this. You know, they go to, they go to church, you know, once, once a month or something like that. And, or uh, my favorite are the uh, Easter and Christmas, just to check the box. Yeah. Make your mom. <laughs> and uh, there's, there's a, there, that's not what it's about. It's, it's about in, in, I think that this is where a lot of, pastors have gotten it wrong as well it's not about numbers it's about spiritual growth are these people growing to be more like christ because if not then what you've got is a social club yeah yeah Um, the whole uh, church success or church growth equals church success narrative has been very damaging in america Um, it's a quantity over quality church in a lot of respects and i think that's really hard because we've talked about this before that I think a lot of pastors, and I don't want to disparage you know, all pastors, but I think a lot of them, especially in these big churches, they lose sight of the fact that they are a discipler. Like, you're a shepherd of these sheep. You're not 
a CEO of a business, you're not a fundraiser, you're not a motivational speaker. Your job is to shepherd these people. And it's great when you got 3,000, 4,000 people, but how do you shepherd that many? Even Jesus only took 12, <laughs> you know, like it, yeah. it becomes too much and then you lose what your original calling was. So, um, I don't want this episode to run too long. We definitely want to have you back, but there's probably 30 different other topics we want to talk to you about. Um, and because you're an ESV Bible reader, um, keeping that family going strong. The ESV and NASB are the two that I use most often for exegetical work. Um, and it, I, I often King James version. <laughs> I actually went to a, a Christian high school that was a King James only high school, and that that was rough. <laughs> that was rough. It's hard enough to read the Bible at all, but then you got to read King James. <laughs> well, do you have any last words that you want to say to him before we end this episode? No, just I think this is really good. I love all. I mean, I agree with everything. You answered everything really well, and I think it'll be helpful to a lot of people and really open our eyes to we need to see the problem and either in order to fix the problem and be intentional. I think those are some great things to take away from it and the fact that reading the whole Bible is possible. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, yeah um, definitely, man. We're um, very appreciative of you coming on. Um, I did want to give one plug to your one more plug to your website. Um the best article that I've read on your website um, of all the great blog posts, it was the, um, oh shoot, let me see. Uh, it was it's right behind there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Reasons to support abortion. I thought it was a fascinating article. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's a blank sheet of paper basically. And I can't think of a better argument. Uh, abortion. So, um, <laughs> Do you have any last words you want to leave us with before we end this? Um, I can't. I can't think of any. Um, just if any of your viewers are out there, and if you take away, if if they want to take away one thing that I I say today, um, the I guess the heart of things is be intentional about uh, not just discipleship, but but your Bible reading habits, your your study habits, uh, your prayer life because it's hard to maintain those things unless you intentionally uh, put the effort into keeping those things up. Yes. Absolutely, so. man. Well, thank you so much. And uh, if you're willing, we'll definitely have you back on again in the future. Of course, anytime. Just let me know. Have a great day. <laughs> you too. Well, uh, that's all we really got for you guys today. Um, please make sure you stick around. We'll have links to all of Nazarene Caffeine's um, websites, Twitter, everything like that. Please go check him out, support him, um, whatever you can do. But that's all we got for you guys today. God bless. <laughs> <laughs>